This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka coming to you from New York City. Going to give you another Code Media interview from our time in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. This one is a little contentious. It's with Jim Heckman and Ross Levinson, um, who now run something called The Maven, which owns Sports Illustrated. We talked about what they're doing there. We talked a bit about their past, which we call controversial. This was a chance for these guys to explain their vision of what they're doing, what they want to do in publishing. Um, I think they got that chance. You can judge for yourself. Our next guests I've known for a while in different permutations. Right now they run a company called Maven, and they also run a magazine called Sports Illustrated. Please welcome Jim Heckman and Ross Levinson. I kept trying to put Ross in the middle. He does not want to do it. I don't like being in the middle. I got you on stage. I can't compel you to sit in a particular seat. We're going to talk about Sports Illustrated. We're talking about Maven but let's do this now. You guys have both been accused of unseemly behavior towards women and other minorities in the past. Do you think any of those accusations are fair? And if so, is there anything you can do to make amends? Um, I don't think you have all the facts, okay? Um, The, uh, you're referring to some articles that came out when I was at the LA Times. It was a tough spot. You know, let's talk about the industry for a second. You've got, in the last 10 years, 33,000 jobs being lost in newsrooms of newspapers. 7,200 media jobs this year alone, okay? So let's set the context. Um, I was brought into the LA Times as a change agent. Take a look at the business. Um, Fix it, invest in digital. And if I were an employee there and I was entrenched, I wouldn't want to go through change either. So I totally understood sort of the resistance. Um, I wasn't prepared personally for the personal attacks. Um, The things that were written about me after, uh, you know, uh, independent look at it from a law firm, nothing was proven to be true. Um, It was front page news, as you know. You've known me a long time. Um, it was tough on me and my family, human toll. Um, after the investigation, I was brought back. I was reinstated. That was not front page news. That was on page 162. Um, and uh, brought back as a CEO. So uh, it was a tough thing to go through. Just as I understand how tough it was for the employees there to think about uh, going through yet another change. But look, we're in a tough, this is a tough business. And you know, you gotta have thick skin on it. And it was hard for them and it was really hard for me and my family. Like there's a human toll to this. And the echo chamber that's out there just amplifies it. And um, that's the world we're living in. So I don't think it was fair personally, but you know, I'm sitting here a year and a half later and uh, I respect the process and the people, and I love journalism, and that's why I'm doing this. You don't think those allegations are fair? I just want to be clear about that. And Jim, you've worked with Ross. People have written about you as well and said you've frat boy behavior. Do you have any regrets about behavior in the past? Um, You know, I think the, uh, when we looked at Sports Illustrated, which we, you know, saw as something that we both grew up with, and we've been in sports journalism for me since 87, you about the same time, um, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, it was a distressed asset and a, and a big opportunity in our model. And, you know, Ross came over to my house and said, hey, 
if we go in and try to transform a business that's suffering, um, the changes that we make, we're going to be back getting personally attacked, right? And um, I mean, listen, if I were in, uh, in their shoes, I would um, gather together and, and you know, defend the industry. 30,000 jobs have been uh, laid off in the last you know, 10 years. Um, but the love for, um, for Sports Illustrated, uh, the love for great journalism, um, you know, Ross and I looked at each other and said, look, let's do it again. Um, I mean, you look at 100% of the stuff that they got thrown out there, you know, no foundation at all. I mean, happily married guy, I've got absolute flawless track record in the last 20 years when it comes to those type of things. But listen, I had journalists that have worked for me over the last 20 years saying they're getting calls in preparation for us taking over SI. Do you want to do a hit piece? Can you help us? And um, it was just amazing to see with in the, the 24 hours of taking over SI, just story after story after story, the input, the, uh, I mean, it was impressive. I mean, it was a, it was your, a your current Your current employees at Sports Illustrated, and I've talked to them, are worried about this reputation and the allegations they've read about in the Times, LA Times and other places, NPR. Is there anything you can do to assuage their fears? Anything you have said to them or want to say to them that's going to get you over this? Uh, you know, I, I don't know who you're talking to. It doesn't matter. I, I go about my job the way I have for the last 30 plus years. Straight ahead, straight forward. I'm honest. I'm transparent. And, and I don't, I'm not hearing that directly from employees, Peter. I mean, look, you've known me a long time. And, and I've uh, been at the head or near the head of companies for the last 20 plus years. And I've got... Um, great respect for, for anybody who, you know, puts on a coat or, or puts on pants, puts on shoes and walks into an office every day. It's hard work. Okay. So we can dwell on, I'm not making light of it because what, what was written about me was super tough. And, you know, when you see the just reverberation without facts, I mean, again, like the only I can lay back on is to sit here and tell you they look deep. It was a public company. I was on a board of another public company. I wasn't removed from either one. If it was true, I would have been gone. That's all I can tell you. I'm in the office. I'm working every day really hard to transform the greatest brand that I grew up with. So let's, let's talk about that, yeah. that business. You, yep. you described it as a distressed asset. Ross, you said it's a great brand. It's sort of been sold twice in the last couple of years, maybe three times in the last couple of years, yeah. if you count it. Time Inc. sold it to Meredith. Meredith turned around, sold it, took a long time to sell. Eventually, we sold it to something called Authentic Brands Group. And they have now turned around and sold, essentially sold it to you. They've given you a long-term license. What is it about that asset that appeals to you guys? Look, look uh, it starts with passion. I mean, if, if you came over to my house, come into my garage, in a box in my garage are 200 plus Sports Illustrated's from my childhood, okay? The most important sports brand in my life growing up, the journalism that came out of that, the photojournalism that came out of that magazine, the, the dedication to my first love, which is sports. This is my fifth sports job in my career. The opportunity to leave a positive legacy at this point in my career on, for me, the most important sports brand in my life is, is an opportunity that I fought hard for for the last you know, year plus. So um, 
being given that opportunity. And, and I will tell you now, having spent uh, you know, months and months with the employees there who are amazing, they've been through you know, three tours of duty, trying to go through what they went through and have still managed to put out an incredible product you know, uh, every day online and in print. And so our, our goal and our task is to give them the resources to do that better. I mean, that's really what I saw as the opportunity. Um, you, you called it a distressed asset, right? But you, what is the value there? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think for the last 30 years for us, uh, we've had a tech team in Seattle. Just basically, uh, Maven's a lot of engineers sitting in Seattle and uh, sales infrastructure and sales. And uh, going back to the NFL in the early 90s, and we consolidated about uh, 32 magazines and about 65 college magazines, put it into a single infrastructure and build a sales organization. And what that did is it allowed journalists um, at the local level to have a sustainable you know, future. You know, whether it's through Rivals, which is still in business today, Scout, still in business today, uh, five to one, uh, big revenue uh, business for Yahoo. 100% of those businesses, um, we took an infrastructure and put all of that high value content onto a single platform. So hundreds of, of uh, businesses, I'm all in a single high-scale platform. When I saw Sports Illustrated, um, it was very obvious to me, you know, Time Warner decided they didn't want to transform the business to a modern platform um, and a modern infrastructure and a modern sales organization, so they, they kept Bleach Report, right, instead. Uh, that went to Time Inc. Time Inc. made no changes. They fired, I think, 400 people, didn't change the news cycle, didn't change the way that they sold, uh, kept the print going exactly in a way kind of two-week-old news. Um, then it went to Meredith. Uh, Meredith stayed there for two years, no change, to an industry that had changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And, and what we focused on is to get the experts, right? The experts, whether it's covering crypto, whether Wait, but you're, you're, ex you're explaining your turnaround plan, but I just, what is the value of Sports Illustrated to you? It's a distressed asset, and you're describing your, this platform strategy you have. Yeah, What's the thing there of value? Yeah, so a great brand, great reporters, unbelievable uh, tradition, but they were in the wrong business model, right? They're still operating in the you know, early 1990s you know, in terms of print, trying to get out news. And you know, when you see Tiger Woods wins Masters two weeks later, you know that a whole newsroom is doing that. That's a cycle that's 20 cycles away, right? So we saw the opportunity that if we take the talent of those journalists, we take the brand of SI, um, instead of one portal model, which worked for a few years back in the 90s, uh, if, if you've seen what we've done, we've already rolled out 100 channels under the SI brand, SI Alabama, SI Cowboys, SI Fantasy, SI.com. And in 30 days, 30 days, we're up 4 million users. 30 days, because consumers don't go to portals anymore. If you're a Cowboy fan, you're going to go to a Cowboy site. If you're interested in investing in crypto, you're going to go to the best crypto site. If you're interested in fantasy, you want to get the best expert. You don't want a generalist, right? And so what our technology empowers and is empowering for 300 intense, specific websites around the world um, is we empower experts. And so what we thought the opportunity is, and it's certainly working, is if we were to install great technology, and we did in the back end, uh, that immediately we'd have more inventory and download time went up 300%, inventory went up, revenue went up, uh, page views went up, went up 4 million, and I think we're up this month already another 16%. So when you look at an old school media company that goes to another old school media company that goes to another old school media company, you just don't have the technology 
and you don't really have the philosophy that aligns with the way consumers consume sports. So this idea of we're going to have one central publishing and revenue operation, and then we're going to have all these sites sort of run by individuals, owner-operators, however you structure it, um, and they're going to cover individual teams, that exists, right? My employer does that at SB Nation. The Athletic is doing that with the paid subscription model. Um, why bring that to Sports Illustrated? Um, why not just start it from scratch? What is the Sports Illustrated name? How is that relevant? And, and we're, you're describing this as a distressed asset that no one wants to go to. So why do you need to buy well, a site at all? I didn't say nobody wants to go to. I said they had the wrong technology, the wrong business model, the wrong monetization team. Our monetization team have you know, sold billions of dollars of advertising from Yahoo, Fox, MySpace. Our technology team, they're from Amazon, Google, Yahoo, Microsoft. And what I said you know, to a lot of our uh, partners like History Channel and Rachel Ray and Oxygen and Biography Channel and Ski Magazine and Yoga Journal, The Street and uh, History Channel and 300 major household brands and 50 publications, th these guys are good at content. They got a great brand. They have a trusted relationship with consumers. If you're a skier, you know, Ski Magazine's the best, better than powder. Uh, if you're a backpacker, backpacker magazine, that's a big deal. Um, if you're into investing, Jim Cramer is part of our company. What we do is we try to find great content. SI has that reputation. They have great journalists. They didn't have the right technology. They had no distribution. And as you know, Peter, paying for distribution is a losing game right now. We have over 100 million users per month on Maven. And so if a great journalist from SI puts out something, a great fantasy story, we can put it across 100 million users at no cost. So installing that great journalism and that great brand on great technology, on big distribution that doesn't cost anything, with a great monetization team, you know, it unlocked value. I'll tell you the one thing, there's one cost, the personal attacks. So sat there in the office the day we took over, we were waiting for the stories, and, uh, you know, the whole office was empty, you know, there at Meredith. It's like four o'clock. Sitting there at my desk, our biggest investor calls, Heckman, how you doing? I feel great because I'm taking the heat for something that Time Warner should have done in 1998. This is the, you're talking about the day you laid off staff? Yeah, the day, the, the day that we took over the company, Which right? Which then laid off a big well, chunk of the yeah, staff. Yeah, Mer Meredith did. We just bought the brand, but yeah. So we've... We have brought in 100 new journalists and 50 aren't there. We brought in twice as many people. What you're missing is that they need to be re-architected. They've got a 1986 business model. We're bringing in specialist team, fantasy, gambling, backpacking, right? That's a model of the future. Seems like you don't need to buy Sports Illustrator for that. You could just call it Jim's yeah, Sports I, Blog. I, I, look, yeah. I, I, you can't put a value on that brand. Okay, that, that brand has 99% recognition in this country and resonates around the world. So we're really passionate about, about this because sports at its core is tribal. Okay, I like the NFL, but boy, I love the New York Giants. Sorry. Yeah, it's a tough year. But you know what? It leads to a lot of conversations with my friends about do we like Daniel Jones? Do we not like Daniel Jones? And that's where sports sort of lives and breathes. It lives and breathes with the teams. SI had sort of gotten out of that business mostly, although they bought a company called Fansided, which wasn't necessarily professional journalists, okay? So we thought about the brand, we thought about the storytelling that's existed in this brand for 65 years, and how do we double down on that? So, you know, we, we announced we hired um, Pat Forty last, two weeks ago. You know, 
renowned Pulitzer-nominated journalist, um, has covered for ESPN, for Yahoo Sports, Louisville, fantastic journalist. You know, we're going to do more of that. We've got, we've got a number of guys. Is in the, the idea that you're going to go for like name brand journalists, people in this room might recognize, pay them market rate, they're going to work in New York or wherever, and they're going to work for the thing called SI or SI.com. And then you're also going to have this distributed workforce, probably from folks that we, we don't know about. Well, you would know if you looked at, we've hired 85 on the local level. Some were there before we got there. We're changing some out. We're hiring a bunch of new ones. Mike Fisher down in Dallas is an example. He's won two Emmy Awards covering media. Uh, he is a Dallas Cowboy expert. I was talking, I was at an event with um, Gary Myers, who, who wrote for the New York Daily News for 30 plus years. He goes, Fish is one of the top guys. He knows the, and he, Gary worked in Dallas, Dallas Morning News. Mike Fish is one of the top guys in the world. Uh, who cover the Cowboys. And if you look at the people we're hiring, 30 of them are award winners, 50 plus of them have worked at New York Times, USA Today, Dallas Morning News, Washington Post, on and on and on. So the narrative that came out when we took over is, oh, they're, they're firing all the journalists and replacing them with bloggers. Okay, Mike Fisher's not a blogger. <laughs> the, the woman, Patty Trana, who's running for the Giants, not a blogger. Just like, you know, all 50 plus people, okay? so. The narrative is one thing, and then the echo chamber gets going. But, but we're focused on top journalists to cover sports on a national and local level. That's something SI wasn't doing two months ago. They were covering national, great. But if, you know, I, I spent months in that, in that office talking to people about what the challenges have been for the last 10 years. This is Peter interrupting for a quick break. We'll be right back. Now we're going to go back to Code Media. One of the eye-catching things in the stories that did come out, um, one of Deadspin in particular, was talking about the way you're structuring these, these the people who are covering at a local level, that you're basically creating them as, as sort of their own contractor, making, making them become an LLC. And not only are they supposed to cover the Giants or the Texans or whomever, but they're also supposed to recruit other people to write. They're supposed to, are they supposed to sell ads as well? I, I'm not listen, selling ads. I, I think there's a reason why. So, so ex yeah. explain, explain how you think it's going to work. So the way that, um, exactly the way it works at all the companies that have team uh, publishers. So the company we built, which was really the first blogging platform, was Rivals, backed by SoftBank. You guys are probably familiar with it. Exactly like that. Um, our model's exactly like Yahoo Sports uh, when they bought uh, Rivals. Um, if you're a great journalist covering crypto or climate change or the Dallas Cowboys, you don't want a paycheck. You want uh, to make six figures. So. Our publisher at North Carolina last year made 900000 The UCLA Pause. Yeah? You have a journalist making $900,000? Yeah. What, what does that okay. person cover? So I'll just, yeah. No, so, really. What, what does that person cover? North Carolina basketball. Like, everybody's missing the point. So how do, they, how do they make that money? Yeah, okay. So, not, not, not I don't want a job. I just want to know how it works. Clarify, so the, not a journalist who works at SI currently, someone who's worked with, with yeah. James in the So past. the average rivals journalist of a big five conference makes over $100,000, the average. At Texas A&M, over a million. At North Carolina, 900,000. At UCLA here, 400,000. But are you paying them a salary? Like, they're making a lot more no, in I the just, local. I just want to understand how, how the economics work, because yeah. like, a lot of people here would want to Super simple. So scout at CBS, 24-7 at, at CBS, Yahoo, Rivals.com. All of these guys, if you're a local radio star, if you're there on the stadium, if you're covering 
a team, you want to own your data, you want to own your content, you don't want to give it away to some big media company, and the way that you get paid is no different than the way that we pay History Channel. They actually like to own their own business and their own fan base. Now, somebody- Wait, 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 stop. Yep. stop. So yep. how do they get paid? Do you write them a check for $900,000? Is it a commission? Yeah. yeah, it's essentially half the money. So if you look at the subscription, monthly recurring subscription, advertising, uh, they have a dashboard, uh, they have you know daily calls. So they get a base salary, and they're keeping some percentage of the so, revenue they generate. So typically, what we do is we do, we do a uh, a guarantee, right? So the Cowboys and Notre Dame and Bama who came in, same thing that we did at Rivals, same thing we do at Scout. You make sure that the person has a start, a little bit like a stockbroker. You start them, and uh, typically they blow through that guarantee quickly. I mean, obviously Boise State or Fresno is different than Notre Dame or Alabama, but these are real businesses making real revenue. The problem with the freelance model, which I don't like, they're paid by the word. They don't take ownership of the business. They don't have a relationship with the fans. They can't keep their content, the ownership of the content. They can't keep their subscription revenue, their email addresses. What the model that's worked for me since 1992, when we had journalists running their own magazines, and then Rivals and then Scout, is that it's unsustainable if you don't give them ownership of their fans. If so you this, don't give them ownership so this, of their email this model where you've got owner operators, sort yep. of, it's almost like a franchise, right? It, it's exactly that. And you've been doing this for a long time, you said. 1992. People are making enormous amounts of money, you say. Not um, Fresno State, but Notre Dame. Yep. Why don't you think that has, has worked? Why don't you think other people have taken that model? Well, you, you started by saying that a lot of people have. So Rivals.com is a mess. I don't think anyone at SB Nation is making $900,000. I don't know. Well, Jim, I remember we met for coffee and you told me you were going to end up starting SB Nation. We talked about the Rivals model and you've done a great job on it. And uh, I don't know exactly how you pay them, but some of them have come over to us and I'm sure some of ours will come to you. The Athletic, uh, I think their top writer at Notre Dame, he worked with us since uh, Rivals.com in 1998. This is a whole ecosystem that a lot of you guys aren't aware of, but you can't sit in a desk in New York and cover Alabama and Tuscaloosa any more than you can sit in a Washington DC news desk and cover Vietnam or Afghanistan. Any true sports fan knows that if you wanna cover the Giants, you gotta be in the locker room, you gotta know the players, you gotta be there getting the injury report, you gotta be recording the, uh, the locker room. And any self-respecting journalist at Alabama or Mississippi, and I've been in sports since 1987, started covering the Huskies, if the Seattle Times would have called me and tried to pay me at what Seattle Times pay people, I had a radio show, a 900 number, a magazine, and a website. Nobody would be that dumb. And so the competition between Jim Bankoff and uh, Yahoo and CBS and us and The Athletic, it's fierce. I mean, the guarantees are high, the stakes are high. Typically, they have a radio station, they know the head coach, they know the athletic director. This is a whole ecosystem that I don't think you understand. It's a real money. And by, by the way, it's great for journalists. Great there's for more jobs. Like, there's more jobs. So the focus was on the 50 or so we didn't hire when we took over the company. No one's writing that we've put 84 in business. Yeah. You, you guys have talked about the fact that you do stuff beyond sports, you do history, et cetera. Um, and I think you've been public in saying you also want to do news and politics. You're going to go out and buy another site in the SI mold, in the street.com mold? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if anybody uh, has been following us, but everybody understands the pressure that's been on independent journalism, right? A lot of people signed up for Facebook pages, Twitter pages, um, and this is an answer to your question. I'll promise I'll get there. 
And what they found is that the data that they thought they had, the email addresses that they thought they had, when they forfeited their identity and forfeited their data and their content to a big monopoly, there's a full collapse of the industry. And so we called a conference um, up in British Columbia and hundreds of journalists came from all over the world and they've been signing up with us. We've got over 300 now, right? And what they really want is they want sustainability. Like when you're getting a paycheck from Meredith and they've laid off, I think, several hundred, uh, right? Not 50. There's just insecurity there. Of course, uh, they're circling the wagons and trying to save jobs. But a true, you know, I think journalist who has confidence in their content, has a relationship with the consumers who are consuming them every day, whether, again, it's, you know, crypto, cannabis investing, whether it's climate change, uh, whether it's taxation, whatever it is, there are leaders around the world that want the relationship with the consumers every day. They want to talk to them. They Jim. want to report for them. Jim. And the answer is, uh, we'll do a news organization. We've got 30 already signed up. We're about 35. But do, do you want to buy something like The Hill or another publication? <laughs> I, you know, I think um, there are a lot of brands in news that are struggling right now. Um, and I think that there's a business opportunity for us to bring to those journalists by having a halo effect brand, connecting them, right, with that brand. I think upgrading the content at the micro level and providing them monetization, sustainability, subscription business, and distribution. And so uh, we're looking, I think in an election year, it's a little bit of a challenge. I think things are priced up right now. Um, you know, certainly there are people that are buying companies as vanity plays. You know who those are. Uh, they're not looking at it um, as a regular multiple. I mean, finance and sports, they were looking at it as a pure business. So I think with the big crazy election that's going on, I think uh, finding an acquisition at a reasonable price, we'll see what happens. It may not happen. I have more questions. I know you guys do. So yep. we're going to open it up to folks who want to come up to the mic. Here comes someone. Hey, sir. Hey, uh, this is uh, Ben Mullen from The Wall Street Journal. I had two questions. The first is that the layoffs, according to folks I spoke with, were kind of a mess. People thought they were going to be laid off at one meeting, then that meeting got canceled, then they got called into a separate meeting. And um, among employees I talked to, laid off, some laid off and some not, there wasn't a lot of confidence in the wake of the layoffs that you guys could run this media company effectively when you guys couldn't even lay off staff in one fell swoop. So I wanted to ask you to respond to that. And separately, I wanted to ask you guys about, um, just I wanted to, to ask about M&A generally. Do you guys see M&A primarily as you know, going out and buying revenue? And are you interested in properties beyond just uh, news? Or are there a variety of products that you look at? <laughs> hey, so we didn't lay anybody off, just to be clear. Meredith, um, I'm just going to be blunt, gave up on the property. They asked us to take the property sooner than, than we were ready. And so we agreed to do it. But we bought the brand, Sports Illustrated. Um, we didn't buy the company, right? And um, ABG didn't buy the company either. So you know, during that week, it was a very stressful environment for us. We were worried about the employees that uh, Meredith was not really engaged with SI. Um, I was concerned that the brand deterioration was going to continue. Uh, digital revenue had gone from 50 million to below 20. Um, just let's be clear. SI was losing a lot of money. There's a lot of false reports that it was making money. Um, less than 17 million people were visiting Sports Illustrated at the time. Page views were down, subscriptions were down. So we were worried. And when Meredith asked us to take the business, 
we decided to do it, right, to make sure that the, you know, the business would survive the uncertainty, you know, within Meredith. But to be clear, we didn't lay off anybody. What, we were in the middle of job posting, and what we wanted to do is January, but we decided to jump in, and, you know, so that's what happened there. Um, in terms of M&A, the way to think about it, if you want to know how we're thinking about it, um, is that we think that media companies should focus on content and sponsorships if they're an endemic brand like Backpacking or Sports Illustrated or one of our clients, History Channel. But they're probably not great at content management system, uh, uh, video platform. None of them have any distribution they don't have to pay you know, for through Google and Facebook. So what we look for is great content, great journalism, great brand. And then we come in with finance, billing, programmatic, ad sales, content management, distribution. So we're the infrastructure, and so we can you know, essentially offer deduped uh, operating expenses. So we look at it and say, look, how much revenue you know, do you have with the content? What if they had distribution to 100 million users? We get uplift in the distribution, and then we eliminate the duplicative infrastructure costs. So that's how we look at M&A. Right, and you guys are a, a public company, uh, the Maven, correct? I don't believe you guys have uh, filed your annual report um, in compliance with the SEC? Yeah, it's, it's actually the opposite. So we would be out of compliance if we did something, I don't know if you've run any uh, public companies before, but we, <laughs> but we merge five companies. So you go to jail if you do a filing early, right? So uh, Sports Illustrated, you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars. The Street, we just acquired. Uh, Say Media is a 10-year-old private company. Hubpage is 10. We've acquired so many companies. I'll just kind of tell you how it works. You go to the accounting company, and then you bring it all together in a single operation. You have to, we had to do 10 audits for Hub, 10 audits for, say, you put it together in a single infrastructure, and then you basically go through the filings, right? You have to go all the way back 10 years. We think we'll be done in a post-M&A world early Q1. So we would be in violation of the SEC if we tried to file without catching up about 25 audits. Jim, you're, right? you're, you're, the last filing you do have, which is the summer, fall, uh, there's a going concern note that says you know, we're concerned that the company won't have the finances to run by the summer of 2020. You're also trying to raise $20 million. Do you need to raise that money to keep this thing going? No, we already did. So a year ago, that was early in the business. It's, by the way, we're only two years old from launch, right? So you're looking at an early filing. There's dozens of filings that are going to be coming after that. Three years ago, we didn't exist, right? We've raised since that filing $150 million. We raised a few weeks ago another $20 million, right? If you read the actual SEC uh, reports, you'd see that we took a position. We'll do more than $150 million in revenue next year, $20 million in profit, just put $20 million in the bank, 100 million users, in a very healthy position. What we did for the SEC and for our investors, we stopped all the audit catch-ups from all the companies we bought, and we did what's called an 8K, and we did a forward-looking statement. Uh, it was reviewed by the auditor, uh, reviewed by our CFO, signed by me, and we made the forward-looking statements based on our users, our revenue, our EBITDA, and, um, and ended up filing. We did that for the benefit of the investors, even though We've got people working 24 hours a day and consultants going through all the companies that we bought. So we've been in doing the right thing. Thank you very much. Yep. That's our accounting session for the day. Question here. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, I have two questions, maybe one for each of you you can pick. 
The first one is um, about the great brand that you bought, which I agree with you. It's an amazing heritage brand. Most franchise brands, all, all great brands have DNA and heritage, right? And then most franchise brands have the ability to franchise that, you know, the consistency across all of the different ways in which that brand is delivered. So the question I have for you is, um, what is that distinct point of view and voice that would be consistent across all of those different properties now that you've distributed? Yeah, I'll just focus on SI for for a second. Um, You know, Authentic Brands Group, who is the owner of the brand, is top one or two licensing companies in the world. I mean, just an incredible business, 50 plus brands. They know how to amplify and distribute brands, whether it be Elvis or Barney's, which they just bought. And so they're running down a path of how do we extend Sports Illustrated into other markets? Like here's a simple one, right? You go around the country, there are all kinds of sports restaurants and bars and experiences. And the SI brand name is so well known that that's a natural, right? I'm not saying they're going to do that. They're looking, they're talking about it. They floated that even medical clinic? Uh, I think a sports rehab clinic. Um, that's, That's their business. They know it better than anybody else. From a media perspective, I start with, you know, this iconic brand that has earned the trust of consumers around the country. Whether it be reporting on Amani Bates, as we did two weeks ago, who is potentially the next Michael Jordan meets LeBron James, and uncovering that to you know, consumers who are outside of Michigan, where he plays in high school at 15 years old. Uh, and many say he could start for NBA teams right now. That's a story that goes back to the kind of legacy of Sports Illustrated. Those are the types of stories that used to be uncovered and that we want to double down and invest in. So that's part one. Part two, expanding it to the local teams is another adjacent business that that we want to invest in, and we've done it now with 84 uh, reporters in local markets. Um, Fantasy, gambling, potentially. Gambling information, not taking bets. There are franchises, whether they be swimsuit, or whether it be Faces in the Crowd, which some of you who have read the magazine over the years know, it's probably highlighted every professional athlete over the last 50 years, has appeared in Faces in the Crowd, whether it be Ronda Rousey or Tiger Woods. So will your individual journalists around in all of the different sports that you're covering keep some of those properties and continue that legacy? That's my question. There are things in the DNA I would tell you this, it's the opposite. It's sort of like if you, if you bought a, a house, an old house, and you stripped it down because you're going to remodel it, but you're going to keep the foundation. And as you break it down, you find this incredible staircase that had been covered up through 12 remodels over the last 65 years. Those staircases exist at Sports Illustrated, whether it be Faces in the Crowd or Where Are They Now or SI Kids, which has been underinvested in. I have not met an athlete now in five months, that I, and I've met probably two dozen, who I've said, would you mind doing something like a master class for kids in SI Kids? Yeah, for free. That's that how much great. I want to help. And so our, our job is to provide a platform and an amplification for, for this brand, and, and that's what we hope to do. You had one other so question. You have a second question real quickly. So you're saying that your 
journalists are also the people responsible for monetizing their franchise. Is that what no. you're saying? It, no. I'm, I'm just going to say, you guys keep referring to the journalism as content. And to the ears of a lot of us in the room, those things do not scream church and state. It sounds like a mashup of no, church and let, state. No, let, let, let me try to let me try to sort of clean that up. We think by the end of next year, we'll have more than 200 and change journalists on, on the platform, single platform. The idea behind Maven, which is similar to the idea that James has done multiple times, is that it is a single uh, database, single platform for hundreds, if not thousands, of content creators, whether they be a journalist or somebody who creates short form um, video or potentially do, ha, does podcasting. There, there's lots of permutations. We will have um, journalists like John Wertheim and Pat Forday and Albert Breer and Grant Wall and the people who have been writing for Sports Illustrated for 10 years, 20 years, five years, two years, doesn't matter. They're still there. The, the, the reports were greatly exaggerated. Those guys and women are still there. Stephanie Epstein last month broke the story about what happened in the clubhouse after the Houston Astros game and, and, and led to the investigation and, and the, the young man lost his job because it was inappropriate. We're still doing those stories. We're doubling down on those stories. The journalists on the local level, whether it, it be the Giants or the Alabama Crimson Tide, they are coming onto a platform, coming under the brand of Sports Illustrated, having the benefit of the technology, uh, a 40-plus person sales force at Sports Illustrated, and we've, we're hiring more people there. Are they supposed and to sell ads or no? They don't sell ads. They don't sell ads. Let me be clear. They, they don't sell they, they have the benefit of, of being able to draft on the platform and the brand. We have a centralized programmatic team, um, and obviously that's a lot of the business now digitally, and we have a brand selling team and a branded content team who will help monetize those. So if I'm covering the Giants, my job is to cover the Giants, but also to run a do, little operation there, do, right? I'm, here's I'm, the do, takeaway before do, we take off. Here's the takeaway. Whether you are um, question. covering climate change or the Cowboys um, or crypto, the challenge in the last 10 years is that distribution has become expensive. It actually costs more to get distribution for your users than you can do advertising. RTB has gone away, right? So the sustainability of independent journalism has been crushed. Believe it or not, History Channel um, and a lot of our clients, they can't afford, History Channel was losing money before Maven came in to run their infrastructure. So distribution, which is impossible for an independent journalist, even a major media company, and it turned out SI, um, monetization, super hard, trying to be a journalist and monetize your site, and tech platform with 20 different uh, Android, iOS, all the different desktop, it's too difficult. What Maven is, is they handle all that back end so that journalists are free to focus on content and their, and their readers. That's, it's that simple. That's what we do, right? We're doing it for major media, we're doing it for small media, we're doing it for Sports Illustrated, we're doing it for Rachel Ray, we're doing it for journalists sitting in Texas and, and hopefully Afghanistan and, and political activists. They're not surviving. You guys know this if you've been you know, following. You know what? You know what? We're, we're going to. This, this it could go on for a long time. We're, could you stop saying content when you're talking about journalism? Well, 
I, I say content too, and I'm, I'm sometimes I'm a journalist. <laughs> Jim Ross, thank you for Thanks, coming. Peter. Appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah.